Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Hey, as we um, continue on in our series, Jesus-Centered Christianity, there are four things that we had asked you to do, to consider doing as we were talking about Romans 8. The first thing is that we had hoped that you would read Romans 8 as many times as possible throughout this whole series. And maybe that's every day, maybe that's once a week. We'd encourage you maybe even to read it in different translations. Really just let this text, because this is such an incredible, powerful text, let it just kind of burrow deep into your heart and into your mind and into your soul and let it do its work in you as you read it continuously. Second thing is that we ask you to be here as many Sundays as you possibly could. And those Sundays that you aren't here to listen and to catch up on um, our podcast or um, our website or Facebook or YouTube, because each of these each of these services build on the one prior to it. And so we don't want you to miss the conversation as it's going, as Paul builds his arguments through Romans 8. So be here as often as you can. The third thing is that we ask you to bring your Bibles. Actually have a physical Bible or an app that you read your Bible from. Follow along with us as we go through the text. That was something we asked you to do. And then the last thing was that we asked you to invite your friends, your family, your community to join you here on Sunday mornings because Romans 8 is a powerful text. And I'm telling you, friends, it's not too late to do this. Yeah, we only have three weeks left of this series, but this text is going to get, it's already been really good, I think, but it's going to get so good. The end of of chapter 8 of Romans is just so rich, and it's so powerful, and it's so beautiful. And so I guarantee you that your community, your friends, are going to be not inspired because I'm such a great preacher, but just inspired because the Holy Spirit, I think, is going to do a powerful work through this text. So do those four things, continue to do those four things, and see how God continues to change you and your heart and your community by doing so. All right. So uh, two weeks ago, we had Subway for dinner. And don't don't laugh at me, okay? I, I grew up in the Midwest, and we don't have places like Slacks or Lee's or Primo out there. We had Subway, okay? And so if I wanted a hoagie, I went to Subway. And so there, Subway has got actually a really special place in my heart, right? Because that's like, that's all I knew growing up of the hoagie world. And so I came out here and I was like, wow, there's so many options. But Subway, I hate the fact that I have to go into Walmart to get it. That's the least, that's my least favorite thing about it. But, you know, I, I get my, my, my footlong subway home, and I get my family's home, and I start unwrapping it, you know, and, and, I, and I hold it up to my mouth, and what do I see but a footlong length of black curly hair wrapped up in my sandwich. See what I did there with the footlong length? I don't know if it's actually footlong, but. And it just got me thinking, like, what do you do with that scenario? Like, what do you do? You take it out, of course, but like, what do you do at that scenario? And it got me thinking about all the weird things that we found in our food over the years. When I was a kid, the first, the first time I remember finding something weird in my food, I was a kid, we were at Red Lobster. We hardly ever ate out as a family, right? We were at Lo- Red Lobster, and I, we might have been celebrating a family or a birthday or something, but my dad, he's eating a salad, and there's a little tiny green inchworm crawling around in his salad. It's fresh, right? Yeah, it's fresh. Um, but you know, what's cool about finding things in your food is that you usually get like a free dessert or a comp or something with it. And so as a family who like rarely went out to eat, this is actually a blessing because not only did my dad, dad get a, a free salad, a new salad, but he also got free dessert for the table. And so we were like, wow, this is awesome. We should probably 
hide more things in our food as we go out to dinner. But here's what I want to do. I want to, has anybody found anything strange or weird in their food at a restaurant and is willing to share just a quick story? Anybody? Yeah. What do you got? What? He found a knife in his subway. I'm telling you. In his subway sandwich. They left a knife in there? Those are actually really nice knives, though. I really like those knives, actually. We, my, my, a quick story. My, one of my dad's best friends owned a number of subways in Minnesota, and so we, my parents had like bags full of these subway knives, and they're really actually really nice. Yeah. Shut up. Shotgun pellets in the roast beef at Arby's. What? So they killed the buffalo and they uh, didn't take the pellets out of it? Yeah, one. I'll, a couple more here. Yeah. Crushed glass. That would cut up your gums if you chewed on that for a bit. Yeah, back here. Three pieces of hair. That's just gross. Hair, hair. I think fingernails and hair. I just there's like. Uh, two more, two more. I'll take two more here. Chris. A cockroach. You share this story on Facebook. I know that's, I could, I could expound on why you did that, but I'm not going to, why you, why, yeah. <laughs> I know you, you, you are eager to share one more. Yeah. That's just gross. Are there people clipping their nails in the back? It's funny, isn't it? Uh, the experiences we've had. I put this, I put this on Facebook actually a couple weeks ago and there was insane stories of what people have found in their food. Um, my wife Emily, uh, who isn't here today, but she, she was eating soup at Applebee's one time and she found a drill bit in her soup. And I thought that was like, how does a drill bit get in your soup? This, this didn't happen to me, but it was, I, I used to serve at Chili's, um, in college and, uh, they used to have these like really puffy breaded chicken fingers. Do you guys remember those? If, for those of you, do you guys ever go to Chili's? No? Am I the only one? Okay. Um, they used to have these kind of more puffy breaded uh, chicken fingers. And so I was serving tables some night and this guy bites into it and he pulls out an inch and a half length of barbed wire from his chicken finger. I thought that was so odd, but crazy, right? Crazy experiences. What do you do with those experiences? Think about it. just what do, you, what do you do when you find a hair, when you find a fingernail? How do you respond to contaminated food? What do you do? Because I think there are different personalities that do different things with the food that we find in our stuff. When you find a hair, are you the person that just takes it out and imagine that it didn't happen and you just keep eating? Anybody, any, any of those among us? Yeah, a few of you guys. It's just a hair, it's just a fingernail, it's just a drill bit, no big deal, right? Like, you just take it out and you just keep going along with your day. I think most people push it away. Anybody push it away? I think most people tend to push it away. The common response is not to keep eating the soup that you pulled the drill bit out of. The common response is not to keep eating the sandwich that you pulled, you know, pellets, gun pellets uh, out of. I think the common response is to gag. Because it's gross. You push it away because contamination is gross. 
And not only that, I think it can also cause a lot of problems. What if Emily were to swallow that drill bit? Can you imagine? What if you were to swallow those those pellets? What if you were to swallow the things that you find in here? There's actually a hospital in Boston that is on display. Thousands of things that they've removed from children's esophaguses and stomachs over the years. Not all of these were while eating, by the way, eating food, but many of them were. They were just found in their food, and they, they swallow them along with the, the edible things. Beyond the dangers of choking, these objects can lead to brain damage, infection, chronic cough, or even death. The plate in front of us, and here, here's the lesson, the plate in front of us is reserved for food. And when things contaminate it, not only is it gross, when things encroach in it and hide in it, not only is it gross, not only is it disgusting, but it can cause really horrible things to happen. And it's the same with us. Our heart, our hearts are reserved for Jesus. Our center is reserved for Jesus our life is reserved for Jesus, and I just want you to understand this and feel it and know it this morning because I, deep within you, you know this is true. When your heart is not reserved for Jesus, when there are other things cluttering and crowding your heart, when you have other things that you are letting occupy the most central part of you, your identity, the, the, the most intimate center part of you, when it's congested and crowded and cluttered and contaminated, life can feel gross. And disgusting, and not only that, but horrible things can happen. It becomes hard and painful and chaotic, and we gag at how disgusting life can be, and really, really horrible things can happen to our lives. This isn't just about eating contaminated food. It's having a contaminated heart, and the same things happen. We have this gag reflex, and we push it away, but when we allow our heart to be contaminated and cluttered and crowded, life can be really, really hard. We've been studying Romans 8, and one of the central things that Paul says is that those who live in opposition to God's ways invite death. Those who don't have Jesus at the center of their life, those who have a cluttered, crowded heart, do not have Jesus at the center of their life. They invite death and chaos in their relationships, in their work, in their mental state, in their physical state. He continues by saying, but those who live rightly according to God's ways, they invite life and beauty and peace. And when we experience this, I think it always initiates a response. When you're at the dinner table, right, and you see that hair in your food, you see the drill bit in your food or the barbed wire or whatever it may be, it invites a response, doesn't it? A gag reflex, perhaps. A cry. An ouch. Wow, I bit into a piece of barbed wire. That hurt. It invites a response. So imagine that you're sitting down at a nice restaurant and you pull a hair out of your pasta. How do you respond to that? Well, you either take it out, you throw it on the floor, you pretend you didn't just do what you just did, and you choke down your spaghetti. Or you gag and you cry in disgust. You call the server over, you surrender your plate to him who not only redeems it, with another version of that same meal, perhaps. But then he blesses it with either comping it or a free dessert on top of it. And our life is the same way. There are really only two things you can do when we feel and believe and know that our life is contaminated, when our heart is contaminated, when there is there's tension in our life and our heart isn't, isn't, um, isn't pure, right, and our life is getting chaotic. There's really only two things you can do. 
We can either turn to religion, which says, I will handle it. I'll choke it down. I'll pretend it's fine. I'll turn away from the chaos. I will fix the problem. Or we can cry out in disgust. We can lament. We can grieve. We can gag and groan over what is in front of us. We can agree with God. We can agree with God that what's in front of us is painful and evil, and this was not God's intention. We can agree with God, and then we can invite God into the mess. We can surrender our lives to the administer of justice and the healer of pain and the killer of sin to redeem it and then also bless it. Paul would say that these groans, these, these cries of disgust, this disgust, this gag reflex is the spirit of God reminding us that one, he is present in our pain. That this pain is an indicator that the world in its present state is not what God had intended it to be, nor is it what it should be. And three, that he is taking the world to its intended glorious end. And this experience that is causing so much inner pain in you, this realization that the world, and here is a very important part, friends. It's not just that the world is a wreck. It's that my own heart is a wreck. That my own life is a wreck. That I am a contributor to the pain in the world. I am a contributor to the chaos that the world experiences. Yes, the world is a wreck, and also I am a wreck. I am not right. This acknowledgement that our heart is cluttered, that Jesus isn't taking his rightful place, that my heart is congested, that there's a lot of other stuff that is vying for the attention and, and the space that, that occupies my heart. My life isn't as it should be. The world isn't as it should be. These are labor pains before the beautiful arrival of new creation. And so, yes, it's evidence of the spirits at work in us, it is an indicator that the world isn't as it should be, but it's also the labor pains of new creation waiting to be birthed. When we agree with God that the world isn't as it should be, we are identifying sin in that moment. Not just sin out in the world, but sin within our own lives. Because wherever there is death, wherever there is chaos, then that is an indicator, Paul would say, that there is something going wrong in your life. Whenever there is tension, it's an indicator that there is something wrong in your relationships, in your life, in the world. So up to this point in Romans, Paul has said that God has fixed the problem of sin for us because we were incapable of doing it ourselves. God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus and transferred his faithfulness to those who trust in him. This not only frees us from condemnation, but it empowers us to live rightly according to God's intentions and secures the world's future resurrection. When we don't live according to God's intentions, however, chaos ensues, which is why the world still suffers. That's essentially a summary of the first 21 verses of Romans. And we're going to head on into verse 22 through 27 this morning. So if you do have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open those up and join us there. So this is a really weird way of saying what he's about to say, but it's the analogy that Paul uses, so I'm just going to work with it, okay? When Jesus condemned sin at the cross and he vindicated his own faithfulness by rising from the grave, God impregnated our broken, chaotic, suffering creation with new restored creation. Again, it's kind of a weird way of saying it, so bear with me. God impregnated a broken, sinful creation with new creation. This labor is taking a long time, but when we see the broken world, when we read the news and we see the atrocities taking place, both domestic and abroad, and our heart aches, does anybody's heart ache over what they're experiencing in life? what they're seeing in the world, what they're reading on the news, what is happening in our community. We talked a lot about suffering last week and the chaos of the world. Does anybody just heartache? When we see and feel that our heart is aching, 
And our soul groans because we realize that the same wars that ravish the nations also ravage within our own hearts. Again, this isn't just a them problem. This is also very much a me. This angst, Paul is saying, this angst, this groaning, this, this, su- this internal suffering, this lamenting, this grieving is anticipation of new creation to be born. Here's what he says in Romans 8, verse 22. We know that the whole creation, so this isn't just an individual problem, right? This is an all-of-the-world problem. Jesus didn't come just to give you a pathway to heaven. He came to fix the problem with the whole world. And that's something that, you know, the, the world has kind of forgotten of in its theology of Romans in particular. The Romans road has really led people to an individual salvation. This is how you get to heaven. Paul's really not interested in that. He's saying Jesus has come to redeem all of creation, all of the world. Jesus is interested in healing. All of the world, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Emily has given birth four times to four beautiful children. The first two, she had epidurals, which from my understanding are annoying and painful in and of themselves, but it does help in the the, the pain that would eventually come. But with Sophie, her, her water broke in the middle of the night, and by the time we rushed to the hospital and got to the hospital, they did that initial evaluation. She was already 10 centimeters by the time, like she was about to give birth in the car. That's how quick Sophie was coming into the world. And um, and she, you know, pure adrenaline got her through that, right? She, 15 minutes later, Sophie was born by, after we got to the hospital. But as graciously as Emily did that, I don't remember groaning. I remember screaming. I remember a little bit of cursing, I'm going to be honest. I remember that she was in an insane amount of pain, right? But what's amazing, and for a few mothers you've experienced, is how quickly it goes from, like, insane amount of pain to, like, pure elation. Is that, is that true? Like, you, you almost don't even remember the pain after that child is born. I've been told. I have had kidney stones, and I've heard. No, I'm not going to go down that road. I've gone down that road before. It didn't end well. <clears throat> the elation at the birth of her child, their child. And Paul is saying, right now, right now, this world is in labor. And it's screaming, and it's painful, and there is new birth, and there is new creation coming. But right now, we're in like the screaming, this is really, really hard stage of the world. But the point Paul is making is that only those who are pregnant groan and scream in childbirth. Just think about that for a moment. Only those who are pregnant groan and scream in childbirth. And you're like, "Uh, yeah, that's super obvious, right? Because you would only scream and moan in childbirth if you're actually pregnant. And that's his point. That's what he's trying to say here. This internal groaning that we're experiencing. You, You look at the world and you see that it's in pain. You feel the pain within your own heart. You see the tension. You lament. You grieve. You're disgusted, the gag reflex at our overcrowded hearts and the chaos in the world, right? You experience this. It's an acknowledgement that the world is broken and we are mourning and we're grieving and we're sighing and we're screaming at the injustice and the evil. These are indicators that we're pregnant. They're indicators that we're pregnant with new creation, he says, that we're longing for a world that is not this world When you look at the world and you're like, man, I'm just grieving and I'm lamenting, that is you longing for a world that is not this world. You're longing for a world that is set free from the pain and the sorrow and the mourning and the grieving. You're pregnant with new creation. 
Not only so, he continues, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we the ones who have confessed our sin and trusted in Christ, the fruit of God's Spirit is growing in us, and we are pregnant with new creation. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so the evidence that the Spirit is at work in us, Paul would say, is our lamenting over the broken state of the world. Our groaning over the broken state of the world and our broken state of our own heart. When we look in the mirror and we say, you know what? My heart is equally contaminated. My heart is equally broken. I am part of the problem. It's not just them. It's not just a world problem. I am a contributor to the pain, to the pain in the world. My heart is overcrowded. And the fact that Jesus isn't solely enthroned in us, if we grieve that, we lament over that. And the world that is living in opposition to God. Paul would say that the spirit is at work in you. If we long for a different day, if we long for a day when there would be no more crying or mourning or pain. As Revelation ends, when every tear is wiped away from every eye, when the world is put back upright, when suffering ends, the spirit is at work in us. We are looking forward in hope of a different day. And it is in this hope that we are saved, Paul says. The reason that you sought a savior was because you recognize that the world is broken and you recognize that your own heart is broken. See, the seed of God's spirit in you aroused your enmity. That's a big fancy word. Back in the Garden of Eden when, when the world was, was thrown into chaos and sin and death that we're still now suffering under, one of the first things God did was he gave us a gift. He gave us the gift of enmity. This deep-seated hatred towards evil, this deep-seated hatred towards pain. God put enmity towards evil in every single one of us. Deep-seated lamenting over the brokenness that we had chosen, this deep-seated groaning that's vocalized when we live in opposition to God. We all feel it, we all know it. When we live in opposition to God and it creates chaos and it creates death and we live in a way that is opposed to God, then we cry out. This is enmity born in us, and we hate it. And we, when we see it in the world, we, we hate it and we despise it. And for those that the weight and pain becomes too burdensome, and we confess that it's not just a problem with the world, but more prominently it is a problem in my own heart, and we hope and long for a different experience, if we can refuse the pull to religion, because that is such a pull, isn't it? I'll just fix it myself. I'll just you know, pull out the hair. I'll just, I'll just pretend that it's not there. I'll pretend that the pain isn't, isn't actually there. It's not as severe as it is. I'm just going to cover it up. I'm going to blame shift. I'm going to do my own thing, go to, go to church, try to cover it up, be a better person. When we refuse the pull to religion and attempt to fixing it ourselves, and we just sit there and confess and acknowledge, and that is the beginning of our salvation because that is when we turn to a Savior who can actually do something about the problem. But those who turn to religion in the midst of their sin and pain, they don't hope. They settle. Religion doesn't tell us to hope for a different day. It tells us to settle. Settle down into your own strength. Settle for the broken solution. And in their attempts at fixing it, they silence the groans of the spirit. See, that's what religion attempts to do. That's what religion always attempts to do. Silence the groan of the spirit. Silence the angst you feel. Silence the lamenting. Silence the grief. Silence the pain that you feel. That is what religion tells you to do. Silence the pain, silence the guilt, also then silence the hope of a restored world. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
The Spirit compels us to wait patiently and steadfast in this pain of this broken world and to lament while suffering, grieve while suffering, groan, not to fix the situation in a frenzy of anxiety-driven religion. And when the weight of the world feels heavy and we can't go on, the strength of God's Spirit will meet us then to carry us forward, Paul says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you're just looking at the world and you just, all you can do is sigh? Like you don't even have words for it? I've been doing that a lot lately. Carrying a lot of burdens, carrying a lot of pains. I've been sighing a lot lately. Groaning, this internal groaning, lamenting over how broken the world is. And again, it's not just out there. It's also in my own heart. It's also in my own interpersonal relationships. It's also in my own friendship circles. It's also in my places that are so dear to me, right? There's so much chaos and brokenness in this world. And sometimes all you can do is groan. All you can do is sigh. All you can do is wonder and grieve. This past week, we we hosted an event for the situation that's going on in our community. And I stood before 40 people who gathered here on Tuesday night, and I just, I didn't even know what to pray. I started to pray, and I don't even know what words came out of my mouth. I'm pretty sure words came out of my mouth, but like, all I could do was sit there and groan with the lamenting community in front of us. And I could just feel the collective heartbreak in the room. And sometimes when the pain is just so ripe and so deep, all you can do is groan and lament and cry. It's that gag reflex, that true deep disgust. And you could cut the tension in the room with a knife, you know. There was anger and disgust and lamenting and sadness and tears and you ever been in one of those experiences when you're so gut-wrenched by the state of the world? You feel like the world just keeps hitting you in the gut, and you're already, like, you know, peeled over, but it just keeps coming and keeps attacking and it keeps knocking you down? And you don't even know what to do, and you're like, the suffering seems overwhelming, and all you can do is lament and cry. Your jaw drops to the floor at the state of the news. You have no words when you're just sobbing and your heart is broken, shattered in a million pieces. And you recognize without doubt that those who live in opposition to God invite death, don't they? Those who live in opposition to God create chaos. And while you can do a sigh and groan and writhe because what you're experiencing is so painful and distorted, those groans, Paul says, that mourning, that lamenting, invites the Spirit of God to envelop you like a blanket. Groans are our lament. They are our agreement with God that the world is not right that the world is broken, and the psalmist said that when you cry out, when you mourn, when you grieve, when you recognize, that is an invitation for the healer to come near. God draws near to the brokenhearted. But what makes those in Christ unique is that the Spirit of God is an empowering spirit. We don't mourn like the rest of the world mourns. You know how the rest of the world mourns? They sink down into self-pity. We don't mourn like that, Jesus says. We don't mourn like the rest of the mourn worlds. God is crafting us into the image of his son, the one who rescues the world from its suffering and heals the world from its pain. We are not to let our lament sink us down into despair or self-pity, but we are to rise with the strength of God's spirit to be the voice and truth and justice. We are the people of hope. 
We are the people impregnated with new creation. We are the people with a first taste of God's transformation, restoration, and new birth. And so the reason we mourn and lament the broken world, the reason we respond with a gag reflex when we see the atrocities in the world, we see how the world is contaminated, we see how our own hearts are contaminated, the reason that we respond with a disgust when we see all that is in front of us and also all that was within us, is so that we might allow it to compel us closer to Jesus. I hope that when you look at the world and you see how broken it is and you just groan and you lament, let that lament carry you closer to Jesus. The one who took all of the world's pain upon his shoulders to the cross. I pray that we might strip out our cluttered hearts and everything that is overcrowded. Because again, we are contributors to the chaos in the world. It's not just out there, it's also in us. And so let us have more of Jesus and less of us. Let that be the cry. When you see the pain that tension is creating, when you see the pain that the chaos is creating in the world, that those who live in opposition to God are creating, when you see that in the world, let that say, you know what, more of Jesus, less of me, more of Jesus, less of me, more of Jesus, less of me. May it compel you to say, Lord Jesus, come. May my life then be more lived according with the Spirit so that there would be life that is experienced in this world, not a, contribution, a contribution to more chaos. Let us, looking at the, the chaos and the lamenting of the world, may it draw us to look at our own hearts and where they're misaligned with God's heart, where they're misaligned with God's mind. May they allow us to see where we are living in opposition to God, where we invite death into these that it isn't just a them problem, that it's also a me problem, and that I need sanctifying as well, that I need healing, I need cleansing as well. You see, God wades through humility. God doesn't wade through pride. Pride is saying, God, I don't need you. Yeah, the world is what it is, but you know what? It's not my heart that's con contribution to it. God can't do anything with a prideful heart. It's humility that God will wade into, God will enter into to cure and to search and the Spirit then will begin to shape us. You see, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so, friends, here's just my request to you is to acknowledge a few simple things. That if you lament over the state of the world, if you recognize the pain in the world and it grieves your heart, that is also the Spirit grieving alongside of you. And it is an indicator that there is a new creation, a longing for a different world that is already embedded in you. And that, that Spirit, that recognition is not just going to help you recognize that the problem is out there, but it's going to help you recognize where you are at fault as well. And then it's going to call you to confess and to admit that, you know what, you're not yet like Jesus. None of us are fully like Jesus, and we won't be on this side of eternity. Lamenting sin is proof of that. Lamenting, confessing my own broken heart is proof of that, but it's also a confession that I want to be more like Jesus. And it's the beginning of God's work in shaping us to be more like Jesus. And so let us look at the sin that we experience in the world, the suffering, the lamenting, the pain, and if it causes a disgust in us, if it causes a gag reflex, if it causes us to say, you know what, there's something not right with this situation, let God's spirit move you closer to him in those scenarios. Because your lamenting is an indication that you want to be. 
Humble yourself so that God can enter into you and shape you to be more like his son in those moments. I'm going to sing one final song for us. I would encourage you just to sit. This is kind of a song about God's perspective um, towards us and God coming near to us. So this is from God's point of view, singing and, and speaking over you this morning. Let me just say a prayer as, as we move into this final time of our service. Heavenly Father, I, I know from personal experience with the chaos um, that is surrounding the world and, and me, Father, there's, there's tension. And whenever there's tension, it's an indication that somebody or both parties, Father, is not allowing the spirit to, to drive them. Somebody is living in opposition to God. And so may we be a people who humble ourselves to the point, Father, where we can recognize that and then invite you, Father, to shape us to become more like Christ. I don't know what to pray all the time when I see the state of the world, but, Father, when I, when I am at a loss for words, when I just sigh and grieve and lament the state of the world and the state of my own heart, your word tells us that that is proof that you are with us and that we are the ones who are just pregnant with new creation and we're just waiting, Father, in these labor pains for new creation to be birthed. And I pray, Father, that we might just give a taste to the world of what that new creation may be like. Let us not sink down into self-pity and despair, but, Father, let us be the people who rise up with the hope, with the justice, with the life of Christ, with the truth, that those who live in opposition to God will always invite death, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit will discover abundant life. We do pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.